What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. So today on the show, we have a super special guest. We're joined by Stefan Hiddebrandt. Uh, Stefan got his start in uh, the world of marketing, doing some SEO and some growth consultancy uh, in the startup world. And he moved to Oslo in Norway to work in sales slash biz dev for a company called Elance, uh, which would eventually become Upwork after the Odesk acquisition. And he stayed there for three and a half years and moved back to Copenhagen and took a position as head of marketing at Airtame, a wireless HDMI product startup. Uh, which John and I know very well. And at some point during your time at Airtame, you solved some pretty cool big attribution problems with some custom engines, and you started to get this itch about starting your own company. And in the summer of 2019, uh, you, Ole, and Lars, both uh, former SVPs of Trustpilot, uh, made the plunge and started Dream Data. So um, today, the main takeaway is going to be that, you know, gone are the days where enterprise companies are the only people who can solve multi-touch B2B attribution and tools like Dream Data are solving this for startups and SMBs. So, Stefan, thanks thanks so much for being on the show, man. Thanks a lot, Phil. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we've talked a lot about this topic before, so I'm, I'm sure we'll get pretty deep pretty fast. Yeah, like myself, I've, I've evaluated Dream Data quite a bit, so I'm super familiar with uh, the platform itself. Uh, John, I don't know how much you you know about it, but uh, I wanted to kind of start off with um, your journey a little bit and, and go back to um, when you were working uh, in at Upwork, basically like this big tech role, and um, how how different was that from like your your previous roles in in kind of the startup world, and and what did you like most uh, about both roles? From the get-go, out of university, I, uh, I joined uh, Vintage and Rare, uh, which is basically, or I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was a, a platform for uh, selling vintage instruments, okay. where kind of gathering shops, and the shops would then put their uh, instruments up there. And the first craft I really learned after studying was really SEO, because like if you have 10,000 instruments, then you really want to have those instruments on top of Google instead of uh, your competitors there. And I just got super fascinated by actually how big an impact you can have when you understand that Google algorithm and how to <laughs> friendly manipulate it a little bit towards your, your own business. Uh, but I was a, I was a bootstrap, almost bootstrapped uh, kind of project, uh, which led me to, uh, yeah, reading the four hour work week uh, by Tim Ferriss and uh, like dipping my toes into uh, yeah places like Elance and trying to hire people from India and try to <laughs> connect them with the other freelancers you had in Europe and other freelancers you had in the US. And then <laughs> suddenly you have this web of people all over the world that you have to make work. And that's quite a, quite a challenge. I think actually my fun story, my first job was... Uh, I put up a job for uh, a person to uh, add people on MySpace that sat with a guitar in their profile image. <laughs> <laughs> Super uh, non-valuable, but it was just to test it out. So our Vinci's and Rare profile had more uh, followers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I learned a ton there and we didn't make any money, but we were greatly successful on, uh, on Google and 
having been there for, I don't know, what it was three years or so, uh, actually got approached by Elance as they were setting up their, their, their European office and asked whether I, I wanted to join uh, that and try to promote Elance in, uh, in Europe. And uh, yeah, me being a big fan of the platform, I thought, okay, well, I haven't made any money the last three years, so <laughs> let me go get a, get a real job for a period. But yeah, so I, the, the music instrument platform was really fixing anything, uh, digital, biz, uh, ads, SEO, etc. cetera, uh, where Elaine's Upwork was much more the traditional business development, like okay. uh, doing PR, doing events, uh, handing over a list of keywords that you would like to have targeted. And so it's much uh, more, you can say, hands-off uh, uh, than, um, than the nitty-gritty of like running your own uh, platform. But it was really interesting to try to be part of this like classical uh, California uh, tech company and, and, and see that from, uh, from the inside. It also got big. Uh, so I think we were at we were 70 when I started at Elance. And then when it was upward, it was maybe 500 and... I think my true love uh, lies around uh, the smaller companies where I guess bigger from thought to action and the, you see the impact of your work much faster. Yeah, something we talk so much about on the show is uh, the value of small companies and well, just knowing what you uh, what you like and, and the environment that works best for you. you. You touched on the SEO front and I think, you know, as we, we talk more and more about attribution in this episode, like SEO and attribution, the, they go together like, you know, uh, peanut butter and soggy water. Like it just is <laughs> such a hard com- combination to get right. Um, you know, how many times uh, uh, in SEO land are you talking to an executive and you're trying to explain like the value of SEO and you're like, hey, hey, well, you know that, you know, dominating search rankings and owning thought leadership and the brand space that you have there. But then connecting that dots, I think a lot of SEOs, I think, end up thinking attribution a lot because they want to really tie things to that revenue. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how your journey has brought you from like SEO into the attribution. It's like this is uh, like super critical spot on topic for for attribution. And I think we also showed some of you some of the stuff, Phil, when we 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 pitched green data. And like the main attribution challenge is that there's so few things that we purchase the very first time we experience it. Right. Not buy an ice cream on a hot summer day right away, but like run even just a pair of running shoes, you'd go to a couple of sites, you'd maybe switch between your computer and your your phone, et cetera. And if we're then talking B2B, which we that's what we address with Dream Data, then we're also talking like maybe multiple months, multiple stakeholders, even your teams has multiple touches with the customer as well. And then very quickly, it gets really complex and just before I go to kind of how we solve it, what we what we really can see across all our customers is that all, all the organic traffic works really well to start journeys, but they're so rarely the last step of the journey. So that's where you end up in this disconnect between all the value you actually create by driving a lot of search traffic to the website, but then the salespeople is the ones that convert the traffic and then they get all the reward for, uh, for, for, for closing the deals, but the deals might never have gone there if you hadn't brought in all the, the traffic. Yeah. And we go, we go this data driven path where we want to see, 
you know, direct lines and, you know, business is becoming so data-driven that we almost detach ourselves from thinking through the the real marketing picture, right? You're right. The, you come in through SEO and then you download a nurture, you get a couple emails, a campaign, and then you, you, you sign, you know, you purchase, and then it gets credit to a sales call. You're like, wait a minute, marketing was involved in this. I saw this uh, in my consulting life. I saw um, a, a really bad analysis that proved that accountants were the number one cu- customer that, that we had. Um, but we were an engineering sh- sh- firm. Like they were just purchasing the product at the end. We're like, we need more accountants. Like, yeah, we, we do to pay our bills, but like this wasn't the ra- actual journey. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's so interesting. And like what we are after all of us is really just knowing the truth about what is going on because like when there's transparency into what's going on, then we can also do much more valid conclusions on what to do next and, and what mm-hmm. to stop. Yeah, when that's that's a big word there, like trusting, like having the transparency of of the data, but also like having buy-in from the rest of the folks in the company that they also believe in that data. Like attribution has such a dark reputation because like a lot of folks just say that, you know, a lot of like offline purchases are never going to be tracked in this online world. And like attribution for B2B and for B2C is isn't like not a real thing. So when you were at Airtame, um, and, and you were like trying to solve this and you like you built up some 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 like custom solutions for this. Like talk us through like that journey and, and how you you solve those internally and how you convinced folks in the company to like believe in the data that it was like legit. Yeah, that's that, that, uh, that's really I think that, that was a really interesting journey for me. And I actually have to correct you, Phil, because we actually didn't solve that attribution problem. Okay. <laughs> Uh, not before I met my two now uh, partners, uh, they were actually, they were pitched by like our local VC for me to talk to them just to like hear them out. And uh, I think I, re- I replied to the VC saying, yeah, I don't really think they can solve this, but I'll, I'll have to <laughs> think anyway. <laughs> now we're here. But um, <laughs> so I started out joining this, uh, this company, uh, Air Team, that came out of like a crowdfunding campaign. So like, and they were spending zero money on ads when I started there. And like over the past of three years, we ramped that from like zero uh, euros a month to around 150,000 euros a month in, in ad spend. And what you see is that in your initial spend, then you can kind of, okay, do the like gut feeling, okay, I turned that up and now we see more money. But as kind of all low-hanging fruits are gone, you're firing on all uh, cannons, then it gets really hard to understand whether like, adding another 10,000 euros uh, a month is worth it or not. Uh, and I found myself in, like my practical solution for was it that was that as long as I can prove that I'm not wasting money, then I can spend more money, <laughs> meaning that you can purchase the device on the website. So if the money I spent equaled the money that we made through through the ads, then it cannot be totally bad, but I had no clue about what was going on. Uh, and I even, you know, I judged my marketing spent in the same month as I made the spent, which is completely stupid because you know the journeys are like three or six months or so, but that was all I had. Uh, and, you know, that's obviously not a, a smart way to do it because... The dollar you put out today takes six months to kind of you plant the seed until the the sales guy closes the deal, and that's why it's so critical to have some kind of clue on how those dots uh, they really connect. And then, kind of, I met these two guys, uh, Lars and Ole, who um, 
Ule had been like pioneering, you can say, segment uh, the CDP almost in, almost say he was been pioneering it in in Europe. He was the third ever uh, enterprise customer at segment, and so at Trustpilot where he worked before, they had been storing all the the data of uh, the users on the website in a database, and Trustpilot also had this problem of like it took it's a review platform where companies set up a profile. And then it took an average 12 months from the setup of the profile until they they saw revenue. So they wanted to understand what happened in the period in between like sign up to, to revenue. And as they solved this problem with the with the help of a, a CDP, then you could also start to ask questions. Hmm, is there a difference in the channel that they came in from? Is it better to be paid or organic or outbound? who churns more, uh, who has the higher LTV and so forth. Um, and then, yeah, we basically, we plug, we, at their team, we've been using segment as well. And then we plugged in our data uh, we, into this uh, rough prototype that uh, Lars and Ola had from, from Trustpilot. And what I could see there was actually a good example is that in the beginning of that year, I, I set up a content team with two writers, a videographer, a designer, and then a, an editor for the team. And I've just been uh, looking at HREFs, looking at, oh, our HREF rank went up, or like we're getting more organic traffic. But and like the CEO would be like, yeah, but I can't pay my salary tricks <laughs> you guys have. But what we could see with that Dream Data prototype was that, for example, we had some we had like an alternative game, so Airtime versus another product. And we could see that those articles were actually massively valuable because ultimately they ended up becoming into deals that were closed one. Mm. Well, the only thing you can see in Google Analytics is that those pages were visited. So the conclusion out of Google Analytics would be to say, stop that project, turn, fire those people, don't do it anymore. But in fact, it, like it started, one article started journeys for like $60,000 within, within a year. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so extremely important that you're able to connect those dots all the way from like the first, like touch all the way through to, to revenue. I think you 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 were describing a situation that I'm sure most of our listeners are are very familiar with that that tangle of attribution and proving improving the value. One of the things I'd like to talk a little bit about is a, just a, where does Google Analytics fit in the journey, right? It's it's a, like almost table stakes for digital marketing, but you're right; it could lead you to some very poor decisions if you're not looking further down the funnel. Um, how how have you helped other people, or how do you approach you know the maturity curve from Google Analytics into a segment, into uh, a DreamData.io, into a HubSpot, and, and connecting all these dots? This is one of the biggest challenges we have uh, um, at DreamData is kind of educating the market, <laughs> meaning that telling people that Google Analytics is like close to useless in a B two B company, because okay, let let me start like this. Do your customers purchase the first time they see something or do they need to do multiple research? Yes, no. Uh, would they be using multiple devices in this journey? Yes, no. Would there be more people involved in taking this decision? Yes, no. Would your salespeople also be involved in this journey as well? And as you start to list all these bullets, then like <laughs> Google Analytics starts to, to crumble quite uh, severely. Yeah, so to answer the question, I think it's also like an educational path and kind of an internet maturity thing because um, like now CDPs are are blowing up and which 
helps people understand that you can actually have one person that then owns two devices that you can then start to understand of that one person. The next step is then to associate uh, these people with, for example, an, an account as you do in, uh, in B2B. Does that make sense, uh, Jonathan? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it describes the universe that, that uh, I occupy all the time and in other organizations. And, <laughs> you know, you just, it's also the technical issues, right? I, like this is not, you've, you described a scenario that even if you were a hundred percent aligned on, on everything you're saying, there's a technical issue. So I'm curious about the the technical problems that, that you see. And um, obviously I'd love, love to hear more about how dream data could solve that problem. Yeah. But it's also kind of, it is uh, almost like, a consultancy expression like change management process because like oh man now the ceo he, he learned the google analytics 10 years ago and it was actually okay 10 years ago because people only had a few devices <laughs> there's there's nothing more dangerous than a ceo and in google analytics <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, but you basically have to tell a lot of the organization that you have to unlearn what you know right now and think about stuff in a different way um, but that is one of the biggest challenges of like selling uh, our tool. That like it's kind of a new category, uh, so there's not a natural spot in the budget uh, for software for it. Uh, so that's kind of what we're we're trying to to carve out. Yeah, like where where that budget fits in is 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 really interesting because like one thing that you've told me, Stefan, that like really changed the way that I pitched like attribution solutions internally is that this isn't a marketing problem to solve. Like this isn't just on marketing to prove like is content driving this or like where are trials starting from. Like this is a company problem, and we're trying to figure out where the company is driving growth, and we want to double down on those things, and we want to figure out like what is driving. Trials. And so instead of it just always being like marketing have to like come up with this battle and like we need budget for this, like it should really be more of like this holistic approach. We need to solve this as a company. Yeah. When you talk B2B, I think the what it's all about is actually being able to 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 collect data of a of a full journey, meaning that you gather every single touch point. And then kind of, then it's an opinion about what was important afterwards, but it starts with you actually storing your data and like putting every single touch into a timeline. And then it can be kind of uh, like opinionated whether which attribution model or, or so to use, but it, it starts with you actually getting out of a habit of having these cowboy salespeople with a phone that just like all the people uh, and getting them into kind of air call or something else, like taking every single touch you have and make sure that it's digital and make sure that it's stored somewhere so you can actually start to model it uh, at a later point. That's super cool. So we, we touched on a little bit like the the analytics maturity path that like some of these companies go through. Like we 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 talked about GA and like we we throw shade at GA, but for for a lot of companies that are in in that startup stage that you know are like less than ten people or less than twenty people, like an end-to-end multi-touch attribution solution isn't like at the top of their list of priorities. Like they will just be using GA. Maybe they're like upgrading and like relying on some UTM codes to like track and see like last touch and first touch. But that like 
the the end-to-end model where you can have all those touch points in the middle and then like aggregate all those to a domain level that's that's where like the sophistication of needing to set up the data infrastructure or like a, a data warehouse where you can combine all of those touch points together so why don't you touch a little bit on like the the, the service side of of dream data like the the google bigquery service type of package that needs to get done before you can get to like the the, the nirvana of attribution that the the, the visualizations kind of of, uh, present what we're trying to do with our product is incredibly ambitious because we like we holistically want to have every single touch that any account has any place so so the way we we do two things you can say and then we glue those glue those two things together uh, one is that we have a script that you put on your website and this script starts to assign anonymous ids to every visitor and then we start to record what is this anonymous id uh, doing if that anonymous ID at some point uh, identifies themselves uh, through a form, a demo call, download ebook, etc., then we ask for permission to go look at what they did while they were anonymous. And now, as we know who they are, we can also associate them uh, with an, an, an account. So you have like this multi-touch profile of just one individual that is then put into the timeline of what is everybody from one account doing. And this is all stored in uh, in Google BigQuery. Uh, so you you build your history uh, of every single visitor on your website. Where did they come from? Where did they go? And what did they look at? And, uh, and so forth. So you have that kind of uh, the, those touch points component. And then the other important component is what takes place uh, everywhere else in the organization, meaning uh, in your CRM, uh, in your automation system, in your outreach software, in your customer success software, in your calling software, because those are also touches that is going towards one account. And you actually want to mix all of that up to, to find every single touch that is part of an account journey and then map that into a nice, uh, clean, uh, <laughs> a nice clean um, uh, journey. And when that, with that all, all that in place, you can start to do these analysis that, that we as marketers like to do, meaning that how's the ROI on Google Ads? How's the ROI on a specific Google campaign? Uh, and we, you can do that because all the, the campaigns arrives with a, a click ID, and then we can look up the click ID and see if it was part of any uh, one journey or not. Same uh, methodology applies to... Um, to organic search as well. Uh, we use the tool ourselves a lot to do uh, business development because uh, we can see which accounts are active and we can see who was it and what did they do uh, that from that, that account. So when your salespeople call them up, they will have something relevant to say or when they send them a mail, they will know which campaign they actually reacted to and so forth. How was that answer? <laughs> yeah, that's that's super cool. I think that there's there's a ton to to unpack there for sure. I think w- one of the things I want to highlight there that uh, I think Dream Data does better than like uh, a lot of your competitors uh, in in this space is this kind of. Um, like company uh, level uh, sort of aggregation, right? Like you mentioned like so many touch points in the B2B world, like there's the end user who's gonna go on your website first and he's gonna look at a couple of blog posts and then he's gonna send a blog post to his like technical implementer. And then that person's gonna need to like get the buy-in from the, the director. Like there's so many people in the company involved in that. And if you're only looking at the purchaser and their journey, like you're, you're not getting the full picture of like who was that first person in the company who was on the website. So um, 
can you touch on that like super quickly like how like how does dream data like accomplish that like how are you able to aggregate those uh multiple touch points from different people all into one account and how are you doing this like with reverse ip everyone working from home now and not being in like uh, the same ip like how how are you guys solving that yeah, uh, let me try to remember all, all the questions in that one question, but oh, otherwise remind me, Phil. Um, so if we start with the script on the website uh, and, and the way we link users to accounts, uh, we do it by, uh, we have a hierarchy of CRM where we would look you up. So your like normal CRM being obviously the first CRM, but you might also have HubSpot and you might also have Intercom and so forth. So we, to, together with the customer, define what is the primary CRM, and then we take Phil at a close I.O. and look, is he in the CRM? If we can find a connection there, then he's sorted. Um, then if Jonathan comes along and he's not in the CRM, but he actually started to sign up to HubSpot, so he receives some emails. In there, we then discover that uh, Jonathan is also associated to close I.O. If, if that doesn't work, then we can start to just look at the domain and say, okay, that domain is uh, close I.O. Um, if that doesn't work, then we have an access to like a, a, an IP database that we look up as well. Um, so we do all of these things uh, simultaneously all the time. And then as we uh, connect the user to, uh, to the company, then one user might have touched uh, or like in the timeline touched one, three, and five, and the other user would have touched two and four. So we organize it by timestamps, which activities uh, took place. Um, and that's kind of how we overcome this, uh, this burden of you putting your ad spend on one person and then the, his boss comes with the credit card afterwards and, and pay you. Gotcha. One of the one of the things that I observed when I uh, I did a stint as a Marketo consultant and a marketing automations consultant, everyone's talking about ABM. One of the things that um, there's a little graphic that we're all looking at here. We should tweet this out when we do the episode. But in my opinion, you also start to see this type of attribution unlocking other capabilities. Right? You have the ability to then, hey, now I can do account based marketing because I actually know it works. You know, I have a buyer cycle that's more sophisticated than just one ad for one person. I also feel like you start to get permission to do things internally within the organization. Hey, let's do some brand, right? We know these things are working well. Let's do some brand advertising. Like that's something small companies don't always get to do. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you see this with your customers? Like you, you, you reach this nirvana state. What starts to happen beyond just knowing more? Let's say that we are providing the best data set available to explain what's going on. Um, still, then you need <laughs> humans to act on uh, what the data is uh, is telling you. And uh, sort of the best of the cases we have, then like people go out and act <laughs> afterwards, uh, meaning that, hey, this uh, Google Ads campaign is actually driving deals. Let me turn up the spend on on that that campaign and try to make similar campaigns even as well. Uh, or it could be to say like discover those pieces of content that that drives deals. Uh, let's do more of those. Uh, but we do also have customers who who's not uh, kind of acting enough on what the data is actually informing them. So what we're looking at now is to to do some. Can we like think look at can we make, recommend stuff like this is like an outlier in terms of positive performance, do more of that. Uh, this is an outlier in terms of negative stuff. You should probably do less of that. Mm -hmm. uh, like somewhere down the line, uh, 
uh, as we pitch to to VCs, we also we also talk about revenue automation. <laughs> Whereas, yes. like, kind of, uh, like, we believe that this data set is the data set that knows the most about uh, your like the commercial bit of your business. So, given we know this, then we should also be able to. Uh, to buy more of your ads depending on uh, early signals of how those ads are performing or not. It could also be like stuff like uh, what if scenarios to so say like you try and double your, you, like you, we, we do a data model where you like, uh, you try it, you act like you said you uh, a budget to double and then you predict how much revenue would come out of it. But that's <laughs> further down the line of, of, of uh, stuff that you can do. But the data is only as impactful as the people who react to it afterwards, I think. You touched on this earlier, and I think that was such a good point, right? You're educating the market as much as you're doing, um, you're solving a technological problem. Marketers exist at this, this interesting intersection, right? The, the skill sets that marketers have often put us direct contact with the pain points, but sometimes technically the problems are very hard to solve. I know I'm not a data analyst by any stretch of the imagination. So the idea of, I don't know, predictive or alerting or some sort of notification that helps to take some of the, the thought and some of the debate out of these conversations, right? Like you're sitting at the CEO table and you're trying to figure out how to, how to position this data and you're also in your own head thinking, well, I, like, am I really the expert here? Like you kind of have that self-doubt. Self how does your platform, you know, how does a vision of your platform, I think, uh, jive with that type of marketing future? So I think actually like we like to think of ourselves as almost the CTO uh, for the, the CMO or kind of let's take care of all this really hard stuff for the marketing people so they can like just skim the cream and then like do more of what works and stop doing what, what didn't work. Mm-hmm. But the, like, the truth can also be painful sometimes <laughs> and if we start to tell people, uh, look, this is actually not driving revenue, then that's, that can also be a problem. Yeah. A classical thing here would be to kind of celebrate these lead ad campaigns that like gathers a ton of emails and then, but when you look them up, there's like no connection to on deals at all. But the marketing agency would say it was a success, but because you got a hundred new emails or something like that. Yeah, enter in hand wave brand building, right? <laughs> yeah, with um, so with kind of several customers now that that are set up using using Dream Data, what what insights can you share um, for our listeners on like trends that you've seen across customers, kind of on an early basis? Um, like I know, like when a customer gets set up, it's probably like a X amount of months until they start like seeing data kind of populate and um, like once the the data warehouse is set up, but like. Um, share some insights on like things that you're seeing so far, like what's the typical time to revenue or like what models do you see customers using the most? Yeah. Uh, so I'll try to say a couple of things. Uh, I think first of all, uh, people are surprised by how long the research phase is or the phase where people are anonymous. People normally tend to understand from the moment we got that email into sales, then we converted within two months or so. But the research phase is easily like three or four months uh, before that, which means a ton in terms of if you're trying to hit budget in the last quarter and you haven't done your marketing investment, then it's it's too late actually to start the journeys. So like the ramp time of the seeds you planned are actually longer than you, uh, you expect. Then uh, I would say... Uh, 
all the stuff you can do that is focused on high intent uh, is the stuff that actually kind of works. <laughs> what I mean by that is the campaign, like low funnel stuff uh, is really where you should start where like, for example, these, an example is these alternative articles, even though the volume is small, they're insanely valuable because if you're searching for an alternative to an already established brand, the intent you arrive to your website with is, is super big and like, hence you probably make money on it where a lot of companies, they try to, to go for volume or like, yeah, volume at the cost of you going wider as well. And a ton of those stuff is just waste of money. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, the overall trend is really that like, <laughs> people have no clue about how valuable their organic and paid efforts are because it's not connected from when you're anonymous to closed one deals. And like a lot of people are under, under investing in these stuff because they cannot prove it. So they are growing a lot slower than what they actually could be. If like, if they could see like five X the return of what they're seeing today. It's it, you touched on so many interesting points, like, uh, as, as an SEO as well, we, we often get a, a bit of a rap for always going after quote unquote, big keywords, high volume keywords. But when you see it at the end of the day, you're, you're always grounded back to, Hey, you got to do more stuff for the customer. Like they're, they're asking salespeople's questions. We can answer them in, in a top of or bottom of funnel kind of post. How do people re- react to some of this news when, when they start seeing like, Oh crap, this isn't working. I thought this was my you know, my ego is attached to this work as well. Yeah. And I think actually was what I was just about to say is that across our customers, uh, Facebook really doesn't seem to work. Uh, mm-hmm. There's then there's components to that. One thing is that Google ads out of the box sets a click ID, whereas on Facebook ads, you need to actually set the, set a, a click ID manually, which makes it harder to attribute. But like across the board, Facebook is really not driving a lot of B2B revenue uh, compared to, to Google. Um, but, uh, and yeah, as you said, Jonathan, that also leads to, to debates kind of, <laughs> hey, I used to regard this as a success, but you're saying it's not a success. I don't trust you. Yeah. Uh, another th- problem is that like we will never get to a hundred percent with a, an attribution tool. So kind of people sometimes freak out if they know one data point that should be in the journey that is not there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, good. I'm not using it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas like you should think about it more as a, as a st- statistical framework that takes you from like knowing 10 or 20% to knowing maybe 70 or 80%. Mm-hmm. As you kind of, when you act on the data, it's still leading you towards a good place. But they, they tend to freak out about like if they remember like one single touch that, hey, I saw him at that place and he's not in that journey. And then obviously we need to do everything we can to get the data quality super high. But like you're just never going to get to 100%, not even with the perfect tool. Yeah, like there's podcasts like this one, like there's there's no intent attribution on podcasts. There's no attribution on like sending a text to your buddy who's using this platform and asking him for a candid review on it, right? Like there's always going to be these offline sources that like a, a tool can't track for every company. 100%. And like we, we only do, you can say, deterministic attribution. Right. Stuff we can prove happened. Mm-hmm. There's like old school, uh, like the, what's it called? The the old school marketing guys that would do uh, like TV ads or radio ads, 
they would do these guesstimates of like, or the, I do. I guess it's causalities that that they say. I spent this money. Now we make this money. So then the ad worked. Whereas we're in the business of we can actually prove it. That was click. That was revenue. Whereas the others, I did. You hear this free economics podcast that came out like a couple of months ago? No, I don't think so. I was fun, but like they found out that for some companies even though the best day was kind of like dead day or black Friday or something like that. But it's because it like correlate, like then you spend more money on ads, but it actually is just because it's correlates with, this is the time of year when people hmm. spend, but there's no impact of the ad. I mean, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, maybe we, um, we can end on, on this question. Um, we like one of the things I see a lot about like debates around attribution is the modeling around it. Like when, when companies are building these custom solutions internally, they're forced to pick like one model. So like a first touch or multi-touch or like this W shaped. What I think that dream data does super cool is this ability to just like quickly on the fly change uh, your attribution model when you're looking at a visualization. Um, so can you touch a bit on, on like why um, you guys went around that route and um, yeah, are customers loving that? Yeah, I think this is actually kind of just out of the box. One of the biggest revelations that we give to people is that we, we, we help them compare attribution models. So, so say for paid, we'll show you five different attribution models for the paid channel right away. So we'll show you the first touch next to the last touch, next to a dot V shape, next to linear, next to U shaped. The answer is that depending on how you look at it, it's true that the ad started the journey, but it's also true that the ads was not the last touch. So the essential bit is that you have all the information available, meaning like you have the full journey. And then you can then have different kind of analysis purposes that you're trying to solve, meaning that if I want to understand which ads to buy more of, I think actually a first touch model is fairly legit to look at because you just want to see where the journey starts from uh, and then you want to do more of that. Whereas if you're looking at it from an ROI perspective, maybe you want to like do a double V shape, meaning like first touch, first conversion, last conversion, etc. So my, my, my answer is always that you should look at all the attribution models before you decide on doing something because they all represent uh, different parts of the truth. I love it. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll end on this last question uh, before we let you go. We, we like to ask all our guests um, how, how they stay happy in, in their career and in their professional lives. You know, you're a super busy guy. You're um, CRO of a company you just founded a couple of years ago. You just got a nice big round of, uh, of funding. Congrats on that. Like you're talking to VCs. How, how do you manage all this stuff? How do you stay happy uh, in your life? <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, I think I'm... Um... I'm a little bit gifted also by being like naturally motivated to like continuously uh, improve. But I guess by being in a startup, startup, I'm just constantly uh, like motivated by, Hey, here's an idea. Let's try and build it. And then unfolding creatively is such, so rewarding for me. And then like seeing a result, Oh fuck that worked or that didn't work. Let's try to do more. Can we, can we beat last month and so forth? I think, because everything is so transparent in a startup, it like it matters a lot whether you show up or you don't show up. That that really really motivates me. I used to uh, do uh, before. I just had a kid uh, twenty months ago. Uh, I used to have a lot of time to then like <laughs> or run or like do CrossFit or something like that. Would, would 
which was a great outlet for me when you kind of feel, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit full now. <laughs> so I would, if you have time, do, do uh, exercise a lot because kind of there's a lot of uh, natural uh, like uh, chill coming after doing so. Now with a kid, it's kind of, I think getting a kid has actually made me like uh, a lot better at prioritizing kind of like just default to what drives revenue and, and leave <laughs> else. Uh, I kind of stuff you would like spend time on I gotta get this small thing right. Like nowadays, it's kind of, yeah. Does this correlate with more revenue? Yes or no? And then, and then I stay focused on uh, on those tasks. Yeah, it's such a good, such a good answer. I I love the the aspect around around the kids as well. I know there, there's a there's a change in mindset once you start having children as a as somebody in a fast paced startup. You. Uh, one of my colleagues always says, I love this line, actually, she says, I'm super lazy. And uh, what she means is that she's not going to spend an ounce of effort on anything she doesn't think is going to provide return. I love that perspective. And I love the perspective you shared on happiness. I think there's so much wisdom to, to unpack in what you just said. Stefan, thanks you. Thank you so much for, for being on the show, man. Uh, we'll, we'll add in the show notes, um, like uh, the website, dreamdata.io, where people can go check it out. I know you're active on, on Twitter and LinkedIn, so we'll, uh, we'll drop links there. But uh, thanks a lot for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate the invite. Thanks.